got a beard and it's looking something fierce Having beers with my peers and talking rap careers Reflecting on the years, connecting on the tears Shipwreck faith ain't always as appears I'm bringing you fresh music, I'm bringing fresh ideas I'm bringing you the dudes in the indie music beers Chilling after shows and talking about the pain With people who learned how to face it and be sane Sipping on a brew, doing interviews No topics off the table but we focus on breakthroughs So kick up your feet, we're gonna put it in check You're listening to bruise beards and shipwrecks One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear One, two, one, two, a mic check Stone bands, royal ruckus on the scene Just to announce We got the brews, we got the beards Tasty interviews for your ears to hear Yes, yes, what's up, world? It's your boy Nomadic Vagabond back at you with another fresh episode of Brews, Beers, and Shipwrecks. This is another DITA episode, digging in the archives. We're taking it back to 2017 on the Areopagus podcast with Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Pastor Mike Landsman. Uh, they interviewed Chun Jay, uh, kind of talking about, you know, some music stuff, but uh, also his history with the Mormon faith and where he's at now as far as his conversion. Uh, so check it out. It's a fun episode, great episode, and fits right in with what we're doing here. So hope you all dig it, and here we go. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. And I'm Father Andrew Stephen Damick. Yeah, boy. And, and you're listening to the Areopagus. It's pretty great uh, stuff. Yeah. So we have a guest today on the Areopagus, and before, Michael, you introduce him, I just want to say, actually, that, I mean, by this point, we're, what, in episode 14 now or 15? I can't remember. I'll ask him. Exactly. It all feels almost, like yeah. episode one to me. It's yeah, fresh. <laughs> you know, but so, so you know, if you've, if you've been listening this whole time, you can, you've basically kind of gotten what our, our deal is as, as the Areopagus, as Areopagites. And I just want to say this about our guest is that actually, in terms of the kind of philosophy of religious encounter and and also just kind of our own personal histories and all that stuff that's all sort of coming to bear in every episode here. There's probably no guest that we've had that more personifies what the Areopagus is really actually about yeah. than this guy. That's so true, no, no pressure, uh, Mr. Guest. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, now I'm really uh, so, drawn this out. Yeah, Michael, why don't you go ahead and well, I was going to say, like, you know, the hype man intro would have given us away to anybody who knows who knows him. But our guest today is the one and only Jamie Bennett. So, Jamie, welcome hey, to guys. the Areopagus. <laughs> We're so happy to have you on. Oh, it's good to be here. Thank you. Well, um, I connected with you way back at like before even online. I think it was at the Florovsky conference yeah. in Princeton. Yeah. It was the second third second one, third one. I, I think could, it was the second one. It was a I think I think I don't even remember because my memory is not, terrible because yeah, I'm, I'm getting sure older. Yeah. I think but, it was uh, the second Florovsky symposium at Princeton. Yeah, I think I think it was the second one, and I think you were there for the third one too. I went to a couple of them. Yeah, because I remember we were live tweeting at one stage. Oh yeah, yeah, we were taking turns live tweeting the. Yeah, that, that was fun. I, I had a couple scary moments where because I was live <laughs> tweeting on my personal page, and then I was live tweeting on the Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy <laughs> one, and right. I mixed them up at one point. Oh, oh no! And I had to go back and delete. <laughs> Because the ones I was tweeting were more colorful. Right. Yeah. I was like tweeting things I overheard people say in conversations. Nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
that's, trying to be more awesome. professional, <laughs> orthodoxy and heterodoxy. Thank woman. you, thank you for that. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you, and like with Father Andrew's introduction, like you wear a lot of different hats. Like you, that's true. Yeah. You, you, you do so many different things. You, you have know? like a hat collection. He does. Yes. He, he does. <laughs> like you're a forensic engineer, or you, or you work for a forensic engineering company. Yeah. You teach at Christian schools. You have been a janitor for Orthodox churches. You. <laughs> You also are a rapper with yep. the the group Royal Ruckus, which I didn't know this, but I actually have a personal familial connection to you. So one of the great things that we like to do every once in a while with Jamie is like we play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's Six Degrees of Jamie Bennett. Of Jamie Bennett. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This because, like in the Orthodox world, right. Jamie is kind no, of our Kevin but Bacon. But like even outside <laughs> Orthodox the Orthodox world. I don't know how this like happened, though. He literally knows. <laughs> yeah, outside. He yeah. knows everybody. <laughs> like everybody. And I'll give you my personal connection because it was I really funny. So my sister many years ago. Wait, went you don't know this? I don't think I, I do. You, oh, you, you do. Don't. I texted oh, do I? you. Yeah. Maybe so, remember. Okay, great. It's okay. going to be fresh just my, like brand new. <laughs> so my <laughs> sister many years ago went through like a, you know, a trouble period in her relationship with God and everything. And she wound up having my oldest niece, Amanda, who I love so much. And if you're listening, Amanda, hey, how you doing? It's good. To, you know, I'll call you later <laughs> and we'll, we'll catch up. But my oldest niece, Amanda, my sister's first child, the father of her first child was a rapper – that you used to rap with way, 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 way back yeah, in the day. Yeah. But I'm not going to say the name on the air. Fair end. enough. But, uh, <laughs> and I remember when I realized this, I texted you. I'm like, hey, do you know this guy? And you texted me back, yeah, I know this guy. And it was like all of those pieces of six degrees of like, of Jamie. Yeah. It was, it was, it was, I laughed and I, and I called my sister. I'm like, you're not going to believe what just happened. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. He, he and I go way back too. So that. That was kind of fun. I totally forgot about that until you just started talking. So how do I know Jamie Bennett? We don't know. We actually (laughs) don't know. (laughs) We don't. We don't. Um, So, in fact, last week at the convention, Jamie, you were my roommate for the week, um, which was great because having a roommate helped save my parish money on the – but also just Jamie is a great guy to hang out with. Yeah, yeah. We had Cuban food. Three times. Three times. Super Three jealous. Times. That's one it more time amazing. than we did the, the weird Kavka's place. Yeah. 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 The, the, the Caucasian food, literally. Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, cool. ca- like from the Caucasus. Yeah. Yeah. We need to go back there. We do. <laughs> um, yeah. It's out on I-80 in Loganton, Pennsylvania, where there are trees, mountains, gas station, yeah. and Kavka's, the Caucasian restaurant. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> it's really, really funny. But yeah. So, you know, during the convention last week, you know, I was introducing Jamie around to people. And they were saying, so how do you guys know each other? And we literally could not remember exactly yeah. how it is we met. I think it was just sort of like we would see each other kind of around on the internet. But then the time that we actually met in person was at the Memorial Day pilgrimage at St. Tikon's right. Monastery. Right. So this would have been, I think, 2012. Yes. I think 2012. Yeah, it was 2012. Because 2012 was the year that the Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy blog began. Yeah. The blog began, and I was in the process of gathering in people, writers and editors, to assist because I wanted to make it a group blog and not just be right. me. And so I met you at St. Ticon's, and I said, hey, would you be on board with this? And you just kind of – I don't think you knew exactly what it was going to be. Sure. And, and you said yes. So it was the beginning of our kind of more active working relationship and, and more active yeah. friendship, I think, was, was then. I was excited about the prospect too because I used to be part of a – group blog when I was reformed 
and it was a lot of great experience, a lot of fun. That's kind of where I got started initially making a lot of my contacts. Why, mm-hmm. like when Mike and I talk about reformed people, I know them all because it started with that that site. So I was like, oh, cool, this is like the the orthodox version. And I actually had a few years under my belt as orthodox, so I felt like I could start talking about it because I tried for a long time not to talk about. Except, yeah. Which which is actually a pretty wise thing to do. Yeah. Like, I I really believe that whatever you convert to, you know, like, some of these guys, like, that become Reformed, like, they should just not say anything. Same with the Orthodox, too. Like, if you're a new convert, just be quiet. We love your zeal. But take that zeal for argumentation, especially if you're Reformed. Channel it somewhere. I don't know. Exercise. The the cage (laughs) stage, right? The person's better off locked in a cage and fed through the bars. Casey's got Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, one of the things that, that he's done in his life, which I think is pretty interesting, and we're going to talk about this, is that he has a side career and has for many years, even before you were Orthodox, correct, as yeah. a rapper. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how – you're from Bakersfield, California? Bakersfield, California. How does a boy from Bakersfield, California break into like the CCM rap world and then years later still find himself yeah. – Producing I, and making Christian or, or just rap in general. Yeah, I, th- I think what happened is uh, I have older siblings, and you know I was growing up in, in the '80s when rap was really starting to break through to the mainstream, and I I just fell in love with the genre. I think my parents were a little uncomfortable with what that meant. Sure, you know I'm going around listening to the Beastie Boys on my little, Walking. you know, yeah, and and as time went on, I I discovered I think they were my sister's boyfriend who actually later got me a rap show at a Christian school. Oh, nice. That's a different story. But he introduced me to Christian rap. And my parents were far more comfortable with that. Sure. So I kind of grew up on both. And they would reward me for chores with every couple weeks I could go down and buy another Christian rap tape. So it was great. I'd use my allowance for the mainstream stuff. <laughs> and then I would work for the Christian stuff. I started writing letters to Christian rappers when I was like 12 years old. I met with my youth pastor like, and the assistant pastor. I'm like, this is what I want to do with my life. And I actually got a letter back from one of the groups, 12th Tribe. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. No, I've never heard of them. This is a part of the conversation where Father Andrew is just grimacing in pain. Yeah, because, yeah, so the undercurrent of this conversation for me is as much as I love Jamie Bennett, I hate rap. I just, to me, really, I say this people are like, why do you not like it? And I'll say, because my experience of it is that it's like having someone shouting in my face. Uh, which is just no one likes that, you know. Well, maybe some people do. But, I was glad um, to hear you finally describe that to me last week. Though, yeah, like, because I never it? understood why you hated it. Yeah, so no, really, it's just really this the experience of hearing it. You know, but like that's kind I, of I'm point though to I'm, some of it too. Yeah, it yeah, really is. right. It's in your face. Yeah, I, you know, I, I just, I just, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that, but you know, you shouldn't do that. No. Uh, but, but, um, but I'm just saying that it's, I'm just not. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, I, gotcha. I, I, I there was one brief moment at some point in the late 80s or early 90s when I became aware of MC Hammer. Oh, and, I have a story uh, about that. And I, I remember, you know, the Hammer uh, pants. And, I had uh, a pair of Hammer pants. Jamie, uh, did you have a pair of Hammer pants? Didn't, not quite. They Close. Yeah. Close. Yeah. I got me fun and, and, you know, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. And I was really intrigued that he was – there was one point where he's – you know he's singing, and I said this. We'll, we'll mention this actually because I uh, I just recorded on Jamie's podcast last week, which yeah. he has a podcast called Brews, Beards, and Shipwrecks, which I actually discovered yesterday. There are several different things that begin with <laughs> Brews, Beards, and 
And there's lots of different options there, actually. It's, there's one, it's, it's berries. Another, <laughs> it's, oh, man, I'm blanking now suddenly on all the different options. But my favorite one was brews, beards, and... Later hoses. I was hoping you were going to say Whoa. that. Rose beards and later hoses. So I don't even. I don't even know what that is. I was just out there googling. You know, yeah. just out there. You know, just out there googling. So, so we recorded. <laughs> we recorded last week while we were at the convention, right there in our room. And I talked a little bit about, you know, Jamie at the end says, look, I always ask everybody, you know, what's your favorite rap song? And I don't have to ask you that. I was like, no, 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 you can ask. It's fine. And so I said, you know, if I had to pick one, I would probably pick MC Hammer's Pray because I just sort of liked the idea that a rapper was saying that we should pray or that any sort of popular artist was saying that we should pray. And that that Uh, song had major mainstream success. Yeah, you got to pray just to make it today. You know, Um, it sounds so white when I say it. You know, like I said, I became aware of rap. I just have never... Never really liked it. There was a, there was a brief period where I just sort of sort of kind of interested in what it was about. Yeah, you know, just sort of the, the the rhythmic character of it, the sort of poetic character of it, and so forth. But when it came down to actually listening to rap, I'm always, I've always felt like, please just turn it off. <laughs> you know, that's just that's just been my my aesthetic experience of it. I'm not on a quest to tell people. Not to do that, although really you shouldn't do that. But no, I'm not. I'm not. On, I'm not on that quest. But anyway, so you know, this is just one example of how Christian love can overcome, uh, you know, even the greatest wow. of, of uh, drawbacks in your yeah. friends. So it's, you know, that's, that's I'm amazing. just saying. So I just had to add that. Uh, as you were, that. gentlemen, go ahead. Love sees no wrong. I guess. No, no. Wait, that, oh my no, gosh. Love, love sees no color. I just had a flashback to cross colors. Oh yeah, is that a thing? Oh yeah, it was. Uh, it was know. like Clothing a hip hop brand. Oh, there you are. And uh, I went to high school at well, my first two years at J.P. Stevens in Edison, New Jersey. So here I am with these MZ Hammer pants on a Cross Colors T-shirt. That's like amazing. walking the halls. With uh, do you have any photos of you? Yeah, that? we can get a photo oh to gosh. surface of I'm that. I'm sure my mom has some. She listens to the podcast. Mom, if you're listening to this episode, mail me some pictures of uh, of me in the empty hammer <laughs> pants if you have any. I don't think I ever had hammer pants, but when I lived on Guam, which you know is a tropical island in the middle of nowhere, you know that was also the period in the 1980s when people were wearing what they simply called jams, which are those big oh, baggy yeah. shorts oh, yeah. that were super colorful. And I had several of those. Yeah, everybody um, had jams. Uh, I, I'm <laughs> fairly sure that there are no digitized photos of me in jams. Thanks be to God. Um, <laughs> Bill, but, um, if you're listening, no, I'll send dad, you my address. Dad, please, please don't. Dad, send please me don't. a few of those. Dad, I will turn dad. them into Christmas cards and dad. send them to God every year. Thank I you, love dad. it. And my dad actually does listen to this podcast. I know he does. That's actually. why I'm putting out the call. Uh, no, no. <laughs> it must not be. So, yeah, I mean, you know, we've all got our embarrassing 1980s things that we did, you know. Although I think really the 70s were a worse time for fashion. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, but we, we, we're, I'm, we're not responsible for that. Well, how did you – to get back a little bit to, sure. to rap in a positive light, <laughs> how did you kind of get into it? How did, where did you start performing? Yeah, so uh, around the time when I was writing those letters, I, I started writing songs too and then started recording with some birthday money, that kind of thing, and then – a group came together as a joke with a couple of guys who really weren't even rap guys. And yeah, it was totally supposed to be a joke and people started taking us seriously. Hmm. And while we didn't necessarily set out at that point to be quote unquote Christian rap, there was Christian content in our songs. So we started getting invited to play youth group shows and stuff like that. And it just kind of got out of control accidentally. (laughs) But, but then we started taking it seriously and uh, we got a record deal, and we moved to Nashville, oh, wow. and we were in the Christian music industry for a while. That eventually fizzled out, but we never officially quit the group. And so a couple years ago, we started working on what we intended to be our final project, and that is 
what just came out this year. And now I'm like, I'm not going to stop doing this anytime soon. So I actually just started writing a new song today. Oh, awesome. What are like some formative albums for you uh, in regards to rap? (laughs) Well, you you really want to poke Father Andrew. Just a little bit. No, no, no. I'm, I'm actually generally interested in this. A little bit. Yeah. We got uh, other things to talk about. I know. I just sure I'm generally interested. Probably one of the most influential would have been Beastie Boys License to Ill. Okay. Sure. You know, take it right back to the beginning. Nineteen eighty six, that album was just a game changer. And weren't they featured on the most recent Star Trek film? I, Don't they play the Beastie Boys? They do. That's they actually play the sabotage. way that they're able to really? defeat Yes. Yeah. See, I know some things. That's exciting. I, know. I didn't know exciting. that. Yeah, yeah. But it's, <laughs> yeah. A, it's a callback because they play in the first, well, the first reboot Star Trek when young Jim Kirk is driving and he's getting chased by the cops. Do they, they play it? They, they play, play them it then. then okay, yeah, yeah, and then they play it again in the third. But it's used as a weapon. Yeah, it's used as a weapon. Actually, in the most recent right. Star Trek. I like it. You know? I like it. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Anyway, sorry. Beastie Boys. Yeah. License to pro- Ill. Ill. License to Ill. Yeah. And then probably one of the most influential on like the Christian side would have been really anything by SFC. Oh, yeah. Which stood for Soldiers for Christ. Sure. I remember them. But probably the big breakthrough album for them was Phase 3. Oh, yeah. And I remember that was the first time I went to like a mainstream record store to buy a Christian rap yeah. CD. They got distributed by Sony. And cool, cool little fun fact about that is uh, Super C later yeah. became known AKA as AKA the, the Hood of Good. Yeah. That, that guy ended up staying at my house in Nashville. Of course oh, he wow. did. I, he, <laughs> he, he had my room, and I was his chauffeur for the week. Oh, that's awesome. And I was able to pull out photographs of me with him when I was 12 years old oh, with man, flowing blonde awesome. hair. And a Dynamic Twins t-shirt. Oh, Dynamic Twins! Oh, man. <laughs> I'm getting brought back here. This is awesome. I love this. I love this. And it, it's it's kind of fun. Uh, Father Andrew missed this conversation, but I got invited up to Father Raphael Barberg's hotel room one night, and there was a Father Jason there, and I do not remember. Blaze. I bet it was Father Jason Blaze. I think he was probably the only Father Jason there. So we got to talking, and he had been a Christian hip-hop fan. Oh, that's what? Awesome. And poor Father Raphael got totally alienated for like 20 minutes. Well, he is from Buffalo. <laughs> there's rap in Buffalo. Yeah. Well, I'm sure, yeah. but I'm just there's a lot of alienation in Buffalo. <laughs> but it, it was so great. And I'm, I'm sitting here talking to an Father Orthodox Raphael, priest. Father Raphael, that joke was for you. And, and we're just nerding out over Christian hip-hop from yeah. the 80s and early 90s. Sure. Like, it was amazing. That's so. awesome. For me, I remember I, I was in, in like, I don't know, ninth grade maybe, and I was at uh, th- this high school in Edison, New Jersey, and I was partnered with this guy, a football player, big dude, and and we're talking, and uh, he's an African-American fellow, and I'm just like this nerdy, like, white kid with glasses and, you know, braces and stuff. And so he's asking, like, we're talking, we're like, we, we have to do this, like, this lab together. So I'm like, what music do you like? <laughs> and he's like, well, you know, and he starts talking about some rap that he likes, and I'm like, I like rap too. <laughs> and he goes, well, really, what do you like? And I'm like, I like MC Hammer. He's the best rapper oh, ever. My. And he just looked at me. He isn't. He, oh, no. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he just kind of smiled, and he's and he laughed, and he's like, "Nah, no, he isn't. <laughs> Not at all." And then the next day, he brought me a tape. I'll never forget this. Uh, I think it was Ice T's OG original oh, gangster, yeah. which had like that Halloween track that he rapped over. Some classic. It blew my mind. And then from then on, like Such I was Such a contrast too. And then, and then yeah, and then somebody I don't know who gave it to me. I had a friend named Mark Lee. He gave me Public Enemies, Fear of a Black Planet. Oh my and gosh. I, and yeah. I like just heard stuff I'd never heard before and it just exploded my young mind. Yes, uh, and speaking of Public Enemy, I gotta yes. I gotta throw one more album in there. Do it. They're Apocalypse ninety one. Oh yeah. 
that was a game-changer album for me. Sure. I should actually say that all opinions expressed about certain rap albums do not <laughs> are not official opinions of the Antiochian Archdiocese of North America, nor of the Penn Northeast Conference of the United Church of Christ. Yeah. Yeah. I think some of – I mean, if I'm not mistaken, aren't some of these albums adults only? Yeah. Uh, some of the lyrics? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not that I would know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. No, it's all good. <laughs> hence, hence the you know. But I mean, we were young, you know, and so I, I like that. And, and I was, I, I enjoyed your your album and supported. Thank you. you know, yeah. On uh, was it go the Kickstarter? Kickstarter. Yeah, you funded the album and I, I enjoyed the album. And, and I like the album. It's, it really is a journey. So yeah, go check that out. So I, I have to just add that since we've already established that MC Hammer is the greatest rapper of all time, no. <laughs> that wasn't. And, and I'm trying to remember. Is it the Prey video? Remember, because this is the one rap song I know, right? Right. Um, isn't the Prey video, like, it almost, doesn't he get some sort of, like, this fiery, you guys have seen it? Have you no, seen the Prey video? It's been a long time. Yeah, if I remember yeah. correctly, I think that's the video. I'm pretty sure that's the video. Like, he receives this sort of, it's almost like a Pentecostal yeah. scene. That sounds yeah. very know, Actually, yeah. although it's, it's sort of reified into sure. the real world, where he kind of receives the anointing, so yeah, to speak, yeah. to rap. Or to do something yeah. to pray. I'm not sure exactly what from another from yeah. from James Brown, isn't it James yes. Brown? Yeah, 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 you're right. Yeah. yeah. So then it's like it's just this fiery experience, like yeah. literally fire, you know. And he's able to shoot fireballs. Do and you that kind see of... the light? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, see, that's from actually my favorite, yeah. one of my favorite films, which is the Blues Brothers. But it, it, yeah, it's true. But, but yeah, I, I just thought of that, you yeah. know. And he it's, became it's funny, a of course, minister. He becomes after. Yeah, yeah, he's the Reverend Stanley Burroughs. You know, once again, this is like I said, this is the only rap thing I know anything about. And now he's pitching command strips. Which is fine. So, so now that one of the interesting things about him, though, is he actually got to start as a Christian rapper. And then when he decided to go a little more mainstream, yeah. he made a promise to God that he would dedicate at least one song really? on each album to God. So every single album of his, even when he kind of went through a dark period. Has a song for God. Even his, even his, when he went gangster rap, when he dropped his, the MC and he so, was just yeah, hammer. His funky yeah. headhunter album. Really, he has a song on there where, like, a, a, I think a gangster gets killed or something, but in the process of yeah. dying, he like asks the Lord to save him. Oh wow! And so, like, he twisted it a little bit sure. for that one. It wasn't as bold sure. as Prey, but there was still a song yeah, dedicated sure. to the Lord on every album. Yeah, that's pretty kind that's, of interesting. Yeah, I think that's very interesting. Yeah. And one time he was on TBN. I witnessed this myself. <laughs> and yes. he said he was studying Calvinism. Oh, and he wow. gave out an email address and asked anybody to send him information yeah. about Calvinism. This did you? like, I think I did. <laughs> this is like 98, 99. I never heard back. Oh. But I was a new Calvinist. I yeah. was in the cage stage. Cage and I'm like, stage. MC Hammer's going to become one of me. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, not so. one of us. One of me. Oh, I meant us. Yeah, like the the sure first and only time Calvinism has ever been mentioned on TBN. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're like, cut the feed. Cut the feed. <laughs> Turn it off. I could, anyway, I was going to make a joke there, but I won't. <laughs> nice. So we actually have another topic to discuss today besides Christian rap or just rap in general. But really this whole, this whole episode is kind of – you know, there's something – I don't know. Like I said, Jamie kind of – personifies, exemplifies exactly what the Areopagus is about. So this is sort of like, you know, the many faces of Jamie Bennett sort of um, today. But uh, anyway, um, so what we really wanted to talk about actually is something that we have occasionally mentioned on various episodes of the Areopagus. And I think it's it's a recurring theme already and probably will continue to be a recurring theme, especially because we're talking about the encounter between religious traditions. And that's the question of conversion, conversion. 
Now, I mean, that word, it calls up all kinds of ideas, right, to convert. And so we just kind of wanted to explore that question today. And part of the reason why Jamie really brings to bear a, a rare perspective on some of this is that, uh, Jamie, you've actually been several different kinds of, of Christian <laughs> yeah. at the very least. So so we actually have a list that I has do. been made, and, and I think we've got it in the correct order. I so, believe so. So, Michael, why don't you tell the Areopagites all the things that, to Jamie Bennett has religiously <laughs> well, been. <laughs> we, he starts off uh, as a Mormon. As a Mormon. Becomes evangelical, dabbles in the charismatic renewal movement, then becomes reformed after dabbling with Lutheranism. Then after he's reformed, he becomes Anglo-Catholic. And yep. then after he's Anglo-Catholic, he becomes Orthodox while at the same time exploring the CrossFit religion on the side. Yeah, because CrossFit <laughs> is a religion. Wait, do you have uh, a Mac, a Macintosh computer? I do. Oh, that's, so that's another religion right there. We should add that in there somewhere. Yeah, I have mine with me. <laughs> oh, there, wait. I, hey, wait a minute. I think one, one time you referred to me as a traditional polytheist, <laughs> saying that I have many gods, CrossFit, Apple, etc. Yeah, one, but you're not wearing an, tr- an Apple Watch, though. You're wearing a... Is that a Fitbit? It's a Fitbit, yeah. but it, it syncs with my oh, okay. Well, there and in fact, actually right here on the table next to me <laughs> right now, next to Jamie actually, it's, it's is, true. is it's Jamie's true. Bluetooth water bottle. <laughs> I, let's say that again. Bluetooth water bottle. It is an actual water bottle that talks to – does it talk to your phone or your, yeah. it syncs with – okay. It, it, it syncs with my phone. It syncs with your – is that an iPhone? It is an iPhone. It syncs with his iPhone. It tracks uh, all the water I drink. Yeah, because he has water goals. I do. What are goals? And I like to track data. So I like to look at my week at a glance and see my my water intake. You do work for a forensic engineering company, so it makes sense. That's true. I mean, but the thing is, you can't just take a drink without thinking, like, how much am I drinking? Is that, or do you just drink and, and you, you, you trust your, your Bluetooth water bottle to do? I, tr- I trust it. I trust oh, okay. it. I do open the app every now and then just to double check that it's syncing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you've been all this stuff. <laughs> Let's talk about So So largely in, in, within those terms, we would be talking about one kind of conversion, and this is the kind of conversion that I think it's discussed the most, at least in Orthodox circles in the English-speaking world, yeah. in which conversion means to change from either one kind or no kind of religion to another kind. So right. people who are Orthodox Christians who used to be something else, we often refer to them as converts, right? Converts. So that's the idea of conversion there. And and your life just sort of super exemplifies that, although probably not in every one of those moves would you have thought of yourself as converting right, to right. something. That's another question. Like, which kind of church changing to means you're converting? Right. Whereas which other kind is just, I go to a different church now. Yeah. And then, but then there's also the question, well, I want to talk about this too, but let's maybe start with, with this kind of conversion. But there's also the question of conversion in the classical, traditional, biblical Christian sense, which is that you change to align yourself with Jesus Christ. Right. You know, which is why I I know that um, I know Orthodox, for instance, who don't want to talk about someone who goes from, let's say, being a a committed Lutheran to being an Orthodox Christian, that that's conversion. They would say, no, that's not conversion. That's something else. So, I mean, let's just let's just talk about all that. So so when you went from when you went from Mormon to evangelical, did you have a sense of, of converting to something? 
Well, I I was very young when that happened. How old were you? I was two. Two, two or three. So you didn't so, like walk down the aisle and make a no. public uh, profession of faith? No, but it, no. But, but for my mother, it was a, definitely a conversion. It was a huge conversion. Because evangelicalism is really significantly different from Mormonism. Yeah. And, and particularly, I think what you're dealing with there is theologically, it's radically different. Yeah. So, Who is God? What does it mean exactly. to be saved? What is human destiny? What is the church? Exactly. All that stuff is different. So she goes from seeing Jesus Christ as our elder brother who lived righteously and did all the things to help us Do to all seeing the things. him all the things Sorry. to seeing him as God incarnate. Yeah. Which is not something that Mormonism teaches. At least and, not in the same sense. And that I would say maybe qualifies as conversion in both senses. Yeah. Like yeah. she's changing from one sort of religion to another. Yeah. But also she's getting to know Jesus Christ, yeah. who he is, and aligning herself with him in a right. very self-conscious way. Right. Yeah. And one of the interesting things about being raised in that environment was my mother was 33 or so when she left a lifetime of Mormonism. And she was a true believer. I mean, truly practicing, really believed it. It was the whole family um, and go back generations, especially on my father's side, we go back to the early Mormons in the 1850s. Like the pioneers going to Utah and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. We've, we've got published works out there from my family about the pioneer days of, of Mormonism. And so for my mom to come out of that, there was a lot of unlearning for her to do. And I remember she would read the Bible to me every morning while I ate breakfast. And I remember having questions for her about theological things and the scriptures. And sometimes she would have to stop herself and say wait, that might be a Mormon teaching. Wow. And she'd have to like do a little Bible study mm. to give me what she felt was the biblical answer. So it's like almost an ongoing conversion. Yeah. 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 I mean, I don't know if she saw it that way, but that's certainly my impression of it. And so I, a lot of how I was raised was I'm, I'm very serious about our evangelical faith, but a lot of it was an exercise in compare and contrast with our Mormon heritage. She'd say, well, the Bible teaches this, the Mormons teach that. Which I think is probably why I'm more theologically inclined than my older siblings, because that was my formative years were very didactic. She was working all that stuff out in yeah. real time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. Let's talk about Mormonism a little bit and your yeah. family, because that's actually a really interesting side of, of your history. So how much of your family remains Mormon now, or well, at, least is, at least has some kind of nominal connection to Mormonism? Yeah, so my immediate family... We're not Mormon, but my mother's family, her siblings, my cousins, my grandmother, they, most of them remain Mormon. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but you lost your father at a very early age, right? Yeah. How old yeah. were you? Two. Two. Yeah. And it was an, an accident? Yeah, it was uh, a car accident. Yeah. And it, it was uh, largely through the trauma of that that my mother became open to something else. Yeah. So for her, her conversion involved a very traumatic experience. She was widowed with, with four children. So... Yeah. Um, so on the on the Mormon thing, so I guess part of what interests me in the issue of conversion and changing faith is my family history. So when when you're Mormon, there's very much a cultural identity there. Just like if you're Jewish, you might not be raised in the synagogue, but you still identify to some degree with the religion. Um, I feel very much that I can still kind of connect, even though I wasn't raised Mormon, all my cousins were. Yeah. And a lot of my friends at school, their parents had been my father's close friends. So I kind of tasted Mormon culture without truly living yeah. 
in, in the life of the Mormon religion. But this goes back back to the 1850s, I believe, for my family. Um, Mike and I were talking earlier, and well, do you want to talk real quickly? Well, about I was going to say that like, you you have a like conversion in Mormonism from in your family from one type of Mormonism to another type of Mormonism before your family eventually becomes yeah. evangelical. Oh yeah, talk about that. So yeah. I, I in in Joseph Smith and, and so forth, I finally have been catching up with you, Father. You've inspired me to kind of read up a little bit on this. So Joseph Smith, he sent out his apostles to England to make converts. And so they did, and they were very successful in England for many reasons. Yeah. And so a whole bunch of people came from England over the years to Nauvoo uh, there in Illinois and uh, a bunch of other places. Yeah. And then your family comes in. Yeah. So my great, great, great grandfather, George Thompson, um, he and his wife and their daughter got very excited about this and they moved 6,000 miles to go to Zion. I mean that's explicit what they explicitly what they said they were going to do. They found the Mormon religion and they said this is it. Somewhere along the way, and I'm not clear where where this happened for them. They got involved in the Morrisite movement, and the Morrisite movement was a man by the name of Joseph Morris, and this was during the period of uh, Brigham Young leading the the Mormon uh, religion, and Brigham Young believed himself to be a prophet. But so did Joseph Morris. So Joseph Morris starts getting these visions and starts writing letters to Brigham Young. And he I don't know how many letters he wrote to Brigham Young, but he had over 300 documented prophecies in, in his life. And he was very bold. I mean, this man actually in one of his prophecies essentially told the whole world, he said, if, you know, if you're a daughter or son of Adam, I am now your leader. Wow. I mean, he basically wow. declared himself the ruler of the world. The human race. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. And and he was gathering followers there. And they, they were in Utah. And they ended up kind of having their own camp. And they had uh, artillery and, and wow. the whole nine. And my family was true believers. They were there. Yeah. So this is part of the uh, – for those who have studied or maybe I want to study Mormon history a little bit, there, right after Joseph Smith dies, you know, he dies mm. in sort of a gunfight, yeah. there is what they call the succession crisis because, yeah. it, because Joseph Smith never left a clear instruction as to how succession would go should he die. I don't yeah. know that he – I mean he died at a fairly young age, right? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's a succession crisis and multiple people kind of claim – the, the mantle of, of prophet president. And yeah. of course, Brigham Young ends up being sort of the most successful one, but the, the right. other one was, was, was Morris. Yeah. And uh, I could be wrong about this, but I think Morris actually had aspirations that he and Brigham Young would work together. Yeah. But uh, Young didn't write back to him. Young just ignored him officially, but did not ignore him behind the scenes. Mm. Uh, and they, there's some speculation about how it all went down, but you know, the, the Utah was a territory at the time, not a state. Right. They did have a governor, and pretty much everybody there was Mormon uh, if they if they weren't Native American. And so a militia got formed, and that that began what they call the Morrisite War, which I think it's probably better referred to as a battle. I think it was only a few days. Yeah. Uh, but part of what – okay, part of what happened, I got ahead of myself But there. the Mormons had already militarized long before that, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this wasn't new. It wasn't like this very peaceful whatever. No. They, they, they you know, had had – I mean, there's one point where Joseph Smith – 
is is using the title of general. Yeah. He had some yeah. kind of lieutenant general commission that he actually received from the state of uh, was it Missouri? I think that sounds right. Point. But yeah, yeah. So I mean, they, they, they Mormons had been militaristic even before that point. Yeah. Yeah. So the the, the Morrisites and the mainstream Mormons pretty much had the same theology. The main difference was that the Morrisites fully expected the return of Christ any day. And, and Morris actually gave predictions on certain occasions of when it would happen. And they were all living communally and including my family. And some of those predictions did not come true, specifically all of them. Um, <laughs> you know, so some people were getting disillusioned. And this is, this is where they got into trouble, I think, was some people tried to go get their stuff because they'd com- communally gathered all of their items. And they're like, we're out of here. We want our stuff. Well, they got a little bold and they ended up putting some of these people in prison, yeah. in their own prison in the camp. And word got out that this was happening, and this was definitely an illegal act. So the governor issued basically release all the prisoners, you know, some sort of statement like that. And then that's when it really went down with the militia. And um, Morris ended up getting killed in the process. The man who killed him ended up getting prosecuted later. And my, let me see how many greats, great great grandmother was a chief witness in the in the prosecution. Anyway, basically the rest of that story is another prophet came up after Morris to continue the movement and they ended up kind of through all that deal they got into sort of a peace with the territory of Utah and the governor made it possible for them to leave Utah with um, protection from the army. And so like half of them went to Nevada and the other half went to Idaho. And that's where my family went was to Idaho and they Morristown, Idaho, I believe still exists. Oh, which came out of that without dragging on the story for too long. The interesting thing is my great, great, great grandfather decided to go back to England as a Morrisite missionary. And he went there and continued proselytizing for the Morrisite version of Mormonism and his daughter remained in in the United States. Hmm. He eventually came back, um, and over time, we somehow integrated into mainstream Mormonism. But that's that's kind of you know that that backdrop, the, that memory of that conversion um, is alive and well in my family. And I mean, we have a preservation society. Um, they, oh, wow. they have. I just finally subscribed after all these years, but they have a magazine that comes out quarterly. I subscribed because they actually did a feature on the Bennett line of descendants. Oh, wow. And I got, I got to write a, a thing for that. And so I was like, you know, I should probably support this foundation because they're doing really interesting historical work, just even yeah. on American pioneer stuff, not even yeah, the religion right. stuff. It's very fascinating history. Yeah. And, and I mean, um, I, I just checked actually, I guess more sites of one variety because it, it, as is the case, there's actually, most people don't know this, but there actually are dozens of Latter-day Saint denominations yeah. currently extant. But the Morrisites split a few times into various groups, but I guess the last one of them, the last time it was seen anywhere, was in the late 60s. So okay. there are no more Morrisite groups left. But but there are still actually lots of Latter-day Saint denominations, which hopefully we'll explore that on some future episodes. Yeah. Um, so but so yeah, so you're raised evangelical until do you, what's next on the list? Charismatic. <laughs> oh yeah, just sort of dabbling in charismaticism. You dabbed your foot think, in a pool that I was submerged in. Yeah, you were raised in, in, I was, yeah, in the charismatic. I was, uh, yeah, I was Michael. in particular uh, Word of Faith. 
Yeah. Yeah. So what, Oklahoma. So so tell us about that. So I think I think how that started was in high school. I got very serious about my faith. Uh, the hip hop thing led me into doing some graffiti and stuff, and then. Uh, once I got arrested for that, <laughs> I um, I got very. I didn't seri- know we had a con on the show. Yeah, <laughs> I, I got very serious about my faith after that, and I was like, it's straight and narrow for me. Scared straight. I became an evangelist. You know, I was handing out Bible tracks, Jack Chick. Oh, I yes. had a lot of those. Really? I, I almost. I guess we can mention that. That's its yeah, own yeah. thing. Actually, when um, when Jamie, when you picked me up at the airport <laughs> uh, in Miami, yeah. Didn't you hand me a Jack Trick track? I there? did. I, as I, I, as I, get I said I brought you some literature to read on the way to the hotel. <laughs> it was ironic. It was ironic, people. He was, was, it the death, was it the death cookie? No, it was not the death cookie. Uh, I don't remember which one it was. I don't remember the it title. Green. It, it, it was, was one against evolution. So, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I found it on a truck stop, and I saved it for Father Andrew. Oh, perfect. So, but, yeah, so I, I became super evangelist, and then that led me to studying apologetics, particularly – interest in Mormon apologetics to Mormons because I wanted to reach my friends and family for Christ. And in fact, at one point, my mom was very concerned about me because she said, Jamie, I think you are obsessed with Mormonism. This was like my junior year in high school. And I was like, mom, it's not about that. It's about Jesus Christ and the gospel. It's just, this is the particular area I'm studying right now. And anyway, that led me into studying other things. I got a job at a Christian bookstore which puts you face-to-face with charismatic stuff because sure. that's some of the best-selling stuff in yep. the Christian uh, publishing world. And I thought maybe maybe tongues were in my future. And, and that, didn't, that never you worked out. tongues or tums? Tongues. tongues. Oh, so not antacids. No, I, okay, well, tongues, sorry. I probably could have used some of those too. <laughs> you know, Holy Spirit heartburn. Tongues, speaking in uh, tongues. But yeah, when, when that never manifested itself – that was around the same time I started studying Calvinism, and then that just squelched any oh, yeah. interest you in just totally, charismatic. You just shortchanged the work of the Spirit in your life, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah, Calvin will do that for you. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I, I was a reluctant Calvinist too. I didn't, I didn't like it at first. Sure. <laughs> and but I became convinced that it was biblical, and so I had this idea that you don't get to believe whatever you want to believe. You believe in teach and live whatever the Bible says is true. And I became convinced by the arguments of the Calvinists. And that's when I went down the reform path and eventually became a cage stage Calvinist. So what did you go to a reformed church of some kind or what, what were you doing actually in terms of worship? Yeah. So initially I was trying to keep up at the non-denominational church that I had been raised at. The college Sunday school was a lot of just prayer requests and it felt like a lot of wasted time. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to study the scriptures. And I had become friends with a Presbyterian pastor when I worked at the Christian bookstore. So I started going to Sunday school at his church. And then I drive over to the non-denominational church. And I did that for a while until I became convinced of infant baptism. Hmm. And then I was open yeah. to other possibilities. You know, that, that kind of thing actually – I mean that was how long ago uh, that you're talking about? Yeah, like 18 years ago? Probably. Yeah, yeah. But that actually – that kind of thing where people are actually attending things at more than one church yeah. and even different kinds of churches. Right. Like you were saying, sort of Sunday school at one church and then you know worship services in other church. That's actually getting more and more common. Yeah. yeah. And I've yeah. even even – 
as as much as it's kind of difficult for me to sort of comprehend, I actually encountered that at the first Orthodox church that I served at, actually, as assistant pastor. There were people who would, they would go to kind of an earlier, exciting, contemporary worship service at, yeah. at, a, at a, some kind of evangelical megachurch, and then come for the Divine Liturgy wow. uh, at the Orthodox Church, because it was a lot later in the morning. It started at 11 o'clock. I always, <laughs> jo- I always joked that, that Sunday was my day to sleep in when I was there. Um, Would they but, take communion at the evangelical church? No, they, they wouldn't do that. But of course, oh. it probably wasn't available most of the time anyway. That's right. true. Um, right. You know. So sure. and and yeah. So it was interesting. Is like and I, and I I would ask these people. I was like, don't I mean? But aren't you Orthodox? Oh yes, we're Orthodox. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's just kind of um, emblematic of the kind of complicated. Uh, religious world that can exist even within just a single person, right? You know, yeah. yeah. And I, and and this this really illustrates the kind of religious world we're dealing with with these days, which is not just that it's complicated, but that it's actually largely defined by this sense of people's personal quest to discover their true, authentic selves. Yeah. yeah. And so, if that's the quest, then what does it matter? If you're sort of dipping into multiple and even contradictory religious traditions, right. yeah. because it's really about where you're going and what you need, you know, and, and, and we could sit back and sort of curse that and say, how dare you? You know, this is this is syncretism or whatever. Right. Uh, or we can say, well, this is what people are doing. Um, how do we address this quest and minister to these people such that they can actually find and really live out wholeness? Right, for themselves, right. where they don't feel like they have to have a hybrid religion, yeah, you know, uh, where it isn't like okay, I just kind of like some of this on my plate and some of this on yeah. my plate, it's, you know. So, so it's interesting that you mentioned that specifically yeah. like eighteen years ago. But I mean, that's actually I, I've encountered that more and more these days. Even people who belong to what you might think of as churches with a very strong sense of communal identity, yeah, you know, yeah. The, the kind of communal identity that makes ex-Catholics say, "Well, I guess I'm still Catholic." Right. You know, right? right. Where they're not going to church or yeah. anything, or it's might like even be cultural. Or whatever. They'll just say, "Well, I guess I'm this." Yeah. You know, um, I, I'm I, actually, you know, that, and we're going to have hopefully, in a, uh, we are going to have on a future episode, Dr. Nathan Jacobs, who created the film uh, "Becoming Truly Human." And one of the things that's interesting about that film is that one of the characters on there, um, and and the, the people that are actually they're not characters; they're actually real people. It's a yeah. documentary. One of the people in the film, um, and all these people identify themselves as as nuns. N-O-N-E-S, you know, I, I, none of the above. I'm not religiously right. affiliated. This one nun, she says, uh, I guess I'm technically Catholic. Yeah. Hmm. So it's interesting. She's not going to church. She sees herself as religiously unaffiliated. Right. But I guess I'm technically Catholic. So it's interesting, that yeah. kind of identity, you know. But but once again, she can be technically Catholic and yet religiously unaffiliated at the same time. Yeah. 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 So that's just – that's the world we're in now. You know, that's that's the quest that people are on. And, and one of the reasons why I'm sort of interested in your life, Jamie, is because in some ways your life sort of typifies this modern, yeah. postmodern, post, postmodern, I don't know. I really hadn't thought West. about that, but you're yes, right. Well, yeah. Yes, there you go. A little epiphany for you today on the Areopagus. Yeah, and, and it's funny. This wasn't the uh, the only time I attended more than one church now that I think about it. Yeah, right. So it was Presbyterian, non-denominational at the same time. Mm-hmm. Then eventually it became Presbyterian Lutheran. Um, I never joined the Lutheran Church, but I was going to services there for a while while attending a PCA Presbyterian Church. Now, what what and, drew you to the Lutheran Church from Reform? Because for a lot of people, especially for people who come out of non-denominational Christianity, yeah. like they discover Reform theology, and it's like 
Whoa. It like opens a yeah. whole new world of biblical interpretation and biblical study. And, uh, and I mean, the same thing I think exists in Lutheran, but I think for more people right now, especially I think because Calvinism is just kind of in the air, you know, with the, yeah. you know, that whole, whole young restless and reform movement, which is, right. I guess, kind of defunct now. I don't know, but that was kind of a big thing. Um, yeah. What led you to Lutheranism from reformed? Reformed. Yeah, so I started reading the reformers. Okay, and oh, yeah. that might do it. <laughs> Luther, Luther was so much more fun than Calvin. To read. Yeah, he's just actually kind of a like a likable human kind yeah. of person, humane kind of person. Yeah. You know, whereas Calvin, God bless him, he was a lawyer. Yeah, and God bless him, he was and, a lawyer. And the the fruits of those two, when it comes I to like, I hate their, lawyers. They're doctrinal. I love you, lawyers. <laughs> Their doctrinal statements, too, read differently. So you read the Westminster Confession, and it's very clinical. Yeah. But you read the Book of Concord that the Lutherans produced, and it's very warm and pastoral in many ways. And I was just more attracted to that stuff. And then I was really, like, drawn to the sacramental theology of Lutheranism. Yeah. And that – I, that I think was the seed sure. that led to me becoming Orthodox. Because for the Reform, they have they have a sacramental understanding of you know the, the Eucharist right. and, and baptism or and some so of forth. Them. Some of them do, yeah. 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 And it kind of it depends on where you go, and there's a lot of significance attached between you know the the sign and the right. symbol uh, and that sort of thing. So it kind of depends on where you are. They'll be like, oh, something kind of maybe might be happening, right. uh, but faith activates it. And then Luther he takes it a little bit of a different way. Is, yeah, is and, that correct in saying? Yeah, I think so. Okay. And so with Calvinists, you're often wanting to talk about the sign of the yeah. sacrament. So it's like the water and then the thing signified, what right. it points to, um, that's salvation. And to me, it feels very stilted. Right. And then you read Luther and he's like, baptism saves you. Right. Like he's just – Which is – that's yeah. literally biblical language yeah. actually. Right. <laughs> baptism now saves you. Right. Yeah. It's sorry, exactly. It's, sorry, you know, Zwinglians. The Bible says baptism saves you. <laughs> Yeah. No, but that's talking when talk Jesus says <laughs> water and spirit. That water is not baptismal water. Oh, oh. that's in the amniotic fluid that you're born in. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm, I'm not yeah, joking. That got real. Yeah, yeah. No, actually, I, I do. I do think I have actually heard that heard that uh, argument before. Yeah, oh, when yeah. someone is born of water and the spirit, yeah. it, you know, they're talking about two different births. Yeah. 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 Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think for me, so what what was happening, and when you, when if you were to plot these moves on a graph. There's a trajectory there. Sure. So Mormonism took me back to the 1800s. You know, non-denominational Christianity took me back a little further. And and, and then as I went on, I I found Anglicanism. And that kind of satisfied my Protestant thinking. Sure. But also helped me feel more rooted to the historic church. And I probably would have become Orthodox sooner if I hadn't discovered a pretty healthy, mm-hmm. God-fearing Anglican congregation. Now, was this an Episcopal church, or was this... It was one of, like, they called themselves a continuing Anglican church. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, they... so the sort of Anglican alternative to yes. the Episcopal church, USA. Yeah. 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 Who, who now they've, like, formed, like, what, the ACNA, I think. Well, that's one. I mean, one there's so many sort of Anglican sure. options now, uh, just here in America, yeah. you know, ACNA is a federation yeah. of some yeah. of them. I think that's like one of the biggest ones right now, the yeah. conservative-minded. Yeah. yeah. But see, even ones. they operate with the, it's sort of like jurisdictions within a jurisdiction, okay. right? Yeah. So like the Reformed Episcopal Church, REC, they're in ACNA. Okay. They're a member church of ACNA, yeah. Yeah. but they're essentially self-governing. Okay. So 
They they have a cooperative though. I mean, yeah, they work. It's a federation. Together. A federation, yeah. essentially, yeah. In, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, how long did you belong to an Anglo-Catholic Anglican church? So we're talking like High Church Anglican. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So like they're observing the Saints' days. That yeah. Kind of thing. Okay. Yeah. And in fact, I was a bit kind of pendulum swinging a little bit while I was Anglican. Sure. Sometimes I felt more Catholic. Sometimes I felt more Protestant. And, and that's kind of Anglicanism now. <laughs> yeah. At least the more conservative variety. Exactly. Yeah. And so I, when I'd travel, I would go to some churches where it didn't feel very Anglican to me because yeah. it was so uh, low church. And then you'd go sure. to other ones and I couldn't identify with some of what they were doing because they were even higher church than we were. But our church was like a sort of a big tent. Any kind of Anglican was welcome here. But you need to know we're swinging a censer and, yeah. and we have the vestments. 1928 prayer book? Sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. You know, and our altar was against the wall, priest facing the altar, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, that's almost kind of like, forgive me, more Catholic than Catholic now. Yeah. Yeah. R- really, yeah. you know, it's true. Post-Vatican well, I mean, and, and like yeah. even that, I don't want to say style, but that, that expression of Anglicanism, you know, they have a lot going for it. You know, they have, right. you know, there, there are arguments that could be made for, you know, their apostolic succession and, and, yeah. and so forth. But anyway, there, there's a handful of us from that community that sure. ended up converting out of Anglicanism to Orthodoxy. Okay. Uh, and it really was when we looked around and we saw who ended up converting, we all did it separately, but we weren't surprised yeah. to see who ended up where we ended up. But, there was a sense in which we were trying to hold on to the idea that we are Orthodox too. We are the, mm-hmm. the English Orthodox Church of the West. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah and right. The, and we were we were trying to stick to our guns and hold by that. Um, and then I think we we all eventually came to the conclusion that that was not entirely consistent with Anglicanism of history. You know, yeah. it's varied. It's varied so much. So then, what led you into Orthodoxy from being Anglo-Catholic? So before I touch on that, I've got a fun story. Oh, Go tell us it. a fun story. So, oh yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. when you talk about like, or when I talk about the difficulty of an Anglican identity of being Protestant and Catholic at the same time, there's some gray area. Like, what do you do with people that are don't have apostolic succession, but they have a similar theology of God or, you know, what, what do you do? How much, to what degree do you recognize what they do? And I was a janitor for a summer at an Assemblies of God church in California. And this is while you're Anglo-Catholic? Yes. Okay. And I was doing whatever janitors do. And I discovered a box of communion wafers in the garbage. They didn't look like anything bad had happened to them, but for whatever reason, someone threw them in the garbage. So I called my bishop, and I asked him, what do I do with these wafers? Do I bury them? Do I eat them? Do I just leave them in the trash? Now, were they in the box? They were, were in the box. Okay, were they unopened in the box? The the box was not sealed, okay. so but somebody there's, opened them. There's like a plastic. You can see they come in like rows, <laughs> right? So you can actually have a whole one that hasn't been used yet. That's still sealed the, in the plastic. These didn't even have the plastic. It was like okay. somebody just stuffed them back in the box and oh, dumped okay. them in the so trash. So it's not clear whether these were mm. in some sense unconsecrated, unused, yeah, or right. whether they okay. were consecrated, unused. Right. Although, I mean, once, you talk, once again, we're talking assemblies of God, right? Yeah. Not exactly a high sacramental theology. Right. Yeah. So I talked to the bishop about it, and he goes, what, what kind of church is this again? And I said, assemblies of God. And he had some charismatic Tendencies. I know he's sure. spoken tongues in his private prayer life and things like that. Well, in fact, the, the, the charismatic movement in America started in an Episcopal church in California. Yeah. Yeah. So 
so he kind of hemmed and hawed, and then he was like, Jamie, I want you to eat it. All of it. And so I did. Now, I was on a low-carb diet at the time, and... <laughs> and so many layers here. Communion wafers are not low-carb. They are not. I have a story, now, too. Here, here's 2.0, though, from that, because... He clearly gave me the direction that he wanted me to go, and if I encounter this in the future, I knew what I need. I didn't need to call the bishop. I knew what to do. So they switched me to another building, and apparently there was a Sunday school class that kind of had their own weekly communion worship service at the church. They were probably experimenting with liturgical stuff or whatever, but they didn't clean up after themselves. And so every Monday I would come in and there'd be a table with tons of leftover communion crackers. I think that class used like Ritz crackers or something and like little thimbles full of grape juice. And so every Monday for a whole summer, I'm just chowing down on this communion out of obedience to my bishop. How much weight did you gain? (laughs) It's not that I I didn't gain any. I just stopped losing weight. And, you know, with a low-carb diet, it usually takes a few days to kick in the weight loss. And then it, like, kind of reboots if you introduce carbs, you know. So, like, every Monday I'd sabotage my hard work Tuesday through Sunday. And, yeah, yeah, that was my experience. Well, I remember (laughs) – Stop me if this is the story you want to tell, Michael. Go for it. But I remember in your previous religious expression um, that you were often in charge. Yeah, that's the that story. Yeah, you want that to tell? Was okay, tell I'll it, back yeah. off. Tell the story. Tell the no, story. all right. So to get and you're you're long term listeners now, Ariopagites. You know we get autobiographical on this show. That's just our bread <laughs> and we're butter. Just guys that's what talking we do. with other people. <laughs> it's just guys talking. That's so all we are. Just to kind of echo Jamie's story, I remember that um, I'm interacting now with with patristic theology. You know, I'm reading Irenaeus and Ignatius. And, and yet you're still guys. in Word of Faith Pentecostalism on and every Sunday. I'm not in Word of Faith. Wow. Oh, it's sort of, um, sorry, post-charismatic-ish. It was, it was, the church was a charismatic church that was more evangelical. Right? So you wouldn't okay. ne- you wouldn't really hear tongues being used in the pulpit for a long time because that was kind of their rule. You don't speak in tongues from the pulpit. But by the time I left, they had taken a hard turn and they wanted to kind of get back to become more charismatic, which was totally fine for them, just not where I was going. Sure. And so they wanted to double down on we need to get back to this thing with the miracles and the signs and the wonders. And and so that this one when I finally left. But I remember I'm reading, you know, this I'm I'm friends with Father Andrew, I'm interacting with patristic theology, I'm in seminary, all of this stuff. And so, you know, we have the thimbles of grape juice. <laughs> and uh, we had about maybe two. I love that term too. Thimbles it's, of it's, it's, well, it's about, and it's thimbles. funny. Like every at one, like I would always try to get them to do wine, like one service out of the year, and I was always <laughs> shot down. But we'd have we would have the thimbles of grape juice, and uh, we would have not the Ritz crackers, but like the little white wafers that they yeah. look kind of like styrofoam, but they have a cross on them, yeah. and they come in a box, and then inside the box they're sealed like in another plastic like a plastic wrapper. So I would, a part of my job uh, before I was able to get some volunteers to help me out was I would have to prepare it and then take communion back in and put the elements away once it was over. Yeah. And so what I'm, I'm interacting with some of the theology and I'm like, what is going on here? I don't know. Like, is this like we pray over it? Like our church might not actually believe that it's the actual body and the blood of Christ, but, at the same time, they're also saying this isn't just juice and cookie time, cracker and juice time. This is something <laughs> spiritual is actually taking place sure. here. So there's this acknowledgement that something spiritual is going on when we're taking communion. But 
maybe not to the extent of make that the Roman Catholics believe, right? So the one day I'm sitting there in this room putting this stuff away, and I'm like, what do I do with this leftover juice <laughs> and these leftover wafers? Like, I'm going to... Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to eat them and drink it all. Yeah. Because this is what we used in the service. So I'm, and there's like six, like if you've ever been to these, you know, Protestant services, we have like these large containers that hold all the little thimbles. There's like 35 of them in there. Mm -hmm. So I'm sitting there and I'm drinking every <laughs> single little thimble of grape juice and all of the leftover wafers. I'm like trying to eat them all. And I just, I did it once and I just couldn't do it. There was just too many of it. There was just, <laughs> it, was too much. it was just too much. And I was like, and, and so what I would actually do, I'm like, God, I don't know what's going on here when we do this, but please forgive me. And so, you know, if it was old, because like, we wouldn't just like throw everything away. Like, you know, if there was leftover yeah. wafers, we would yeah. put it in Ziploc bags mm -hmm. and then use it again. So I would actually get, Lord, I don't know if this is right or wrong. And I'm throwing some of this stuff away when I have to, but I can't eat it all because it's, it's just too much because it, it was too much. And uh, please forgive me if, if this is bad. Right. <laughs> so yeah. I would like pour it away. But I mean, oh. isn't this kind of, and this is a question that I, that I wanted to ask you, Michael. Sure. Um, isn't this just sort of emblematic though? Of what we're talking about, about what the religious world is now like. So you literally you're there in the midst of this sort of post-charismatic evangelical church, which, you know, doesn't have a sacramental theology. Right. But there's a sense of something special and spiritual is happening right. when we do communion. Jesus is here somehow. Yeah, like, somehow. Right. And yet you're, you're interacting with and being influenced by patristic theology. Yes. Mm -hmm. And so you have this quandary, what do I do with these wafers and this juice? So, so there's that. That's a sort of religious complication there. So I, I would ask, and since one of our, our themes today is this question of conversion, in what sense might you describe the shift that you made from that religious expression to where you are now, which is a mainline Protestant with a liturgical shape to worship. Um, in, in what sense is that a kind of conversion? And were you kind of in process when you're having these, this sort of dilemma of, you know, do I eat it or not? And in what sense is it not a conversion? Um, this kind of helps us, you know, sort yeah. of further define terms, or just sort of further, further <laughs> problematize these terms. You know, I, so, so what would you say? about I can't that? remember where I heard it from, but I think it was an Orthodox guy. He said that he he when he became Orthodox, he didn't say that he converted. He said that he was received into the church, and I like and I like I kind of like that terminology because he was already converted to Christ. He said, right. but. He, he met Christ. He knew Christ, but then he was received into the church and met him in a greater way. So I wouldn't, for me, put my turn into mainline Protestantism as necessarily a conversion of sorts, just more of, of maybe not, a, not quite – I don't think it's quite a lateral shift. I think it's definitely a step up from you know, the non-denominational world. Uh, in regards to you know a deeper theology, deeper appreciation of tradition mm -hmm. and history, and so forth. So the, I, I guess the conversion aspect of that is sort of relearning or unlearning old like how how things used to be, and then learning this new way yeah. that uh, I, I I have had tastes of, but I haven't actually fully lived out and experienced for myself. I mean, there's definitely a, a, a change of life in a yeah, certain sense, sure, mm -hmm. and 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 certainly change in worship. I mean, that's sure. that's huge. Yeah, like yeah. so here at my church, I don't have to worry and get up and talk about how communion and and baptism. I don't have to get up and like hide the fact that we're using sacramental language, right? So right. in my previous context, 
something spiritual is happening. If I were to call it a sacrament, someone would probably get like kind of annoyed and then send an email anonymously saying, you know, oh, no sacraments. That's Roman Catholic, <laughs> you know. But I, I can use that language, and there's a deeper meaning to that language than the tradition that, I, that I've kind of left because they're still here, even if it might not be the same as what a Roman Catholic would believe or, or what the Orthodox believe or maybe a high church Anglican. There's still – there's a higher respect, I think, for communion, and there is a sense that this is a, an important act of worship, and there's something deep – uh, going on here that God is actually using in a certain way to accomplish right. his purposes in our hearts. Yeah. So, I mean, we still, you know, we have, we have prayers of consecration and so forth. So we might not have that deeper, we might not have it as a deeper theology as, as uh, Roman Catholic or Orthodox, but there's a deeper theology than like the tip, the traditional sort of non-denominational world. I think for our, for our context here at our church is then, well, what does that mean for us? Should this then just be something that we do once a month? Or since this is traditionally and historically the central Christian act of worship, should we then make this a more routine part of our mm-hmm. of our of our worship? And so for me, I I've I've joked air quotes joked. I've joked with this <laughs> with leadership here, but I would I would want us to go to a place where we're doing we're having weekly Eucharist, not just yeah. you know, once a month or um just I mean that's that's really the historical yeah. Christian practice, right, right. is that it really is the thing that Christians right. do in, in their worship. Yeah. Right. So, so um, you know, we still haven't gotten Jamie from Anglo-Catholic to Orthodox. Yet. Sorry. But, but no, 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 no. We're still, you know, leaning over the precipice here before you go completely over the cliff to Orthodoxy. <laughs> I, I just wanted to further problematize this question. And that shows some of my English, <laughs> English literature, literary theory coming out. We use that word problematize, which is just kind of, it's a bunch of smoke and mirrors philosophically, <laughs> I'm telling you people. But anyways, uh, you further complicate this question and, 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 and say this, so we're talking about conversion, and we've talked about it in terms of changing churches. Yeah. We've talked about it in terms of becoming aligned with Christ, you know, converting to Jesus Christ. But but also there is a kind of um, sociological and psychological and maybe mm. to some extent philosophical yeah. side, which is and, – and, and this is something that goes around especially in Orthodox English-speaking convert circles, which is this question of, okay, I can become Orthodox. I can join the Orthodox Church. I can believe the Orthodox teachings. But there will be still some people who will say, you know what? You will never really be Orthodox. Yeah. Right? You know, you know what I'm saying? So the, the sense of just because you converted, you're not really sort of converted. And I think that some of this is actually – one way to parse this might be and further exploring these questions of, of secular two and secular three aspects of understanding where we are religiously, philosophically, culturally, civilizationally is that this notion of being in a world – actually secular one where – Unbelief is implausible, where being another religion is implausible. Like you can't yeah. imagine that you're anything else. Right. That 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 sometimes that that being truly orthodox or being truly Mormon or being truly whatever is identified with that kind of secular one schema, mm-hmm. where where being something else is implausible and switching is implausible. Right. right? 
you know, that, that we're identifying that as being the authentic version mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of those things. But we're in a secular three world where people change churches. Not that people haven't changed churches in all these centuries. But now, right. it's, now right. it's such a thing yeah. that Michael can be wondering about sacramental theology in the middle of a non-denominational church. Jamie, you can be wondering about what to do with communion you find in the trash at a Assemblies of God church while you yourself are Anglo-Catholic. <laughs> right. And you're attending multiple churches at the same time. You know, all of these things are now, this is what it is here in the secular three world. Yeah. And so you can become orthodox. Yeah. And have a sense that, no, this is really right, this is really true, or whatever. I mean, orthodoxy is not the only endpoint potentially here for what, we're talk- what I'm talking about right now. Right. But, but there is this question of, of whether you really can be authentic without getting to the point where it's so given that you never could have converted in the first place. Yeah, you know the yeah. point where it's sort of the givenness is so strong that conversion in terms of changing churches is not actually sort of possible. So, I mean, I'm just going to throw out that my opinion about that, and I think especially if what you do understand in terms of the scheme of secular one, two, three, that expecting everybody to be secular one is unrealistic, and quite frankly, I think it's wrong. That that saying that that's the authentic Christian expression where you literally cannot imagine right. changing churches, you cannot imagine actually taking on a different way of worshiping, a different way of believing, that, that, that that's what we're really truly supposed to be aiming for. And oh, by the way, you can't get there because you're not – because you live in America where everything is based on choice. I, I think that's bunk. I think that's bunk. I think you can be truly Christian. You can be truly Orthodox. You can be truly whatever without having that sense of I can't imagine anything else for myself because I can't imagine converting to anything. I can't imagine changing. That you can be truly those things because within the Christian sense, even within distortions of Christianity like, frankly, Mormonism, that that kind of authenticity is not actually the touchstone of authenticity in the faith. Like Christianity starts by people converting. Right. Having been something else. And even Mormonism begins that way, you know. So I, I don't know. Just interact with that. I'm, I'm just sort of interested in that question. Maybe part of your story of becoming – going from Anglo-Catholic to Orthodox might help inform some of that. Like yeah. you became Orthodox in what year? 2009 was when I was baptized. 2009. So do you do you feel Orthodox? I do. <laughs> Let's I, just put that out there. Do yeah. You feel I, I Orthodox? feel Orthodox. Yeah. I, I don't know if that feels the same for other people. But yeah. And, and the longer I'm Orthodox, the more I feel at home. Right. You know, I, I knew when I was in the process of converting, there was a guy attending the church who was, you know, cradle Orthodox. And uh, we got to talking one night over beers, and he said that he opened up to me and said he was an atheist. But orthodoxy was home. Interesting. And I thought that, you know, that's not directly what you're talking about, but it kind of is. Like, it, and it becomes part of your who you are, and the the more you dwell within it, and this is probably true of just about any religious community, the more you're within it, the more it becomes bone of your bone, flesh of your flesh, so to speak. Yeah. That goes um, in with actually a question I've been thinking about giving your your journey through all of these different expressions of Christianity. And yeah. I was going to ask, and not as a challenge, but just yeah. as a general question, like what's going to keep you orthodox? Like I'm not saying that because you yeah. had these different experiences throughout your life that you're not going to remain faithful, but what is it about orthodoxy that is going to keep you from moving on to, I don't know, well, I'm going to become Roman Catholic or something like that. Right. And, and I would add this because as a sort of a complication of that question, because I've heard this sometimes, if you're talked into – being orthodox, right? Or if you're convinced into, yeah, then you can be convinced out, 
Right. Right? So this is one of the problems of our Secular Three era. Yeah. So, yeah, what is it that keeps you orthodox and makes you say, this is the rest of my life? Yeah. So before I fully answer that question, I think usually when I tell the orthodox part of the story – I usually talk about reading myself into the faith, and that yeah, right. that it's, certainly it's was part of it. into orthodoxy. Yeah, yeah. I I definitely at some point came to the conclusion. And I think I stole this line from Frederica, where she says something like, "The early church still exists, and you can join it." I became convinced that was true, and that early church was the Orthodox Church. Mm-hmm. So there was an intellectual component, but there was also for me sort of an existential component as well. And I had gone through one of the most difficult times of my life and wasn't sure up from down. I had been so sure of all these doctrinal things that I'd studied and come to this conclusion, that conclusion. And then I was kind of like, maybe I don't know what's going on. And I went through a period of a few months where I just kind of floated to other churches. I was in an Episcopal church. I was in a Lutheran church. I was in a Presbyterian church. And I felt at that time, felt is the right word. I felt that it was the season for me to finally become orthodox. But I was afraid to make that step. And so I was floating around to these other churches trying to find something to keep me from finally facing orthodoxy. And I got an email from the priest I was living in Hawaii. I had asked to join their mailing list. And he just emailed me and said, by the way, the bishop is coming. You should come for a visit. And I hadn't visited yet because the church was like 80 or 90 miles away. So I made the drive, and there was one sort of uh, intellectual thing, and I was still kind of hanging on to that worry that all Protestants have, that <laughs> Orthodox or Catholics are trying to earn— Works righteousness! Yes. Yeah. And that particular Sunday, the epistle, I think, was from Galatians chapter 3, yeah. which— this is a great Protestant text, right? <laughs> That's right. That part was written by Martin Luther. <laughs> yeah, we own that text, yeah. baby. <laughs> and and the bishop preached on Galatians 3. That sermon could have been preached by Martin Luther. And I said, and it wasn't that it was distinctly Lutheran. It was just biblical, and I thought, well, if that's what the Orthodox Church believes, then I'm worrying about nothing because it still, at the end of the day, is the mercy of God and the gracious kindness of God. And I, I didn't have any more concerns anymore. And I just started going to services and I felt at home and I had some intellectual things I had to work through. I still had some lingering Calvinism. If, if you were to ask our friend, Catherine Chaffee about that, she would probably remember an argument we had (laughs) that sounded like I was maybe a little bit of a Calvinist still, but that stuff, I prayed that out. Yeah. Like, my priest told me, you need to not read so much, and you need to come to services and pray more. And when you have questions, come talk to me. And and it wasn't that he doesn't want people to read. Right. I was just... Uh, For you, that was what you needed to do. That's what I needed. It's like Yoda, right? In in Empire Strikes Back, when he's training Luke Skywalker, you know, he at one point he tells him, you know, you have to unlearn what you have learned. And yeah. I think conversion from anything to something else requires... That process of I have to unlearn a bunch of this stuff that shaped me along a particular path or into kind of who I am. I have to unlearn some of those things because now I have to relearn what it means to love God and how to approach God and and who God is and what God's really like. And and so in a sense, 
finally conversion resolves into the same one thing, even though I've kind of you know, yeah. we've suggested there's sort of two varieties. Right. But really it is about learning a different way of being, you know, and, and a different way of approaching God. Because even someone who's sort of pre Christian or unchristian or whatever, they're still reaching out for God in one form or another. Uh, even though right. even if they don't know that that's what they're doing. Right. Still wanting the transcendent to come into their immunitized life. I want God to show up in some way. Right. This to me is a fascinating, fascinating subject, and I don't think it's explored as well yet as it could be, at least for the Orthodox uh, yeah. in the English-speaking world. And you know, in my experience of, of low church Protestantism, if you started going to a non-denominational church, you know, moving from say a, a Lutheran church or whatever, no one would say that that was a conversion. Right. And, and the Lutherans probably wouldn't maybe say you're now in in some kind of theology or worship that's got problems right. or whatever, but, but they wouldn't right. say you converted to something else. It's, it's all a very, very complicated question, but I, I think that uh, we could talk a lot more about this. And, and we uh, could. Like, uh, it, it just, just about what you said right there, like I'm thinking of conversations I've had with people who were – they were Lutheran. They were Protestants who came to our non-denominational church who were like – this is where I finally have met God for real. Yeah, see, all that's conversion this, language. And all of this right. Lutheran stuff is this was just dead tradition. I'm like, but what we're mm. <laughs> it's like what we're doing is like is really similar to like the stuff that you're experiencing in the, in the Lutheran world. We're just the theology is not as good, and you know we're not you know liturgical yeah. in that way. So yeah, that's the thing is I think you know it, it was once said that that America is a nation with the soul of a church. Right, and I think that we the conversion language comes to us easily. Yeah, this changed my right. life. Yeah, right. We'd say stuff like that about a diet plan. Yeah, <laughs> right. I think conversion I, language. comes – I would never say that. CrossFit, CrossFit changed cross, me. Cross, <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, yeah. I can clean and yeah. jerk four hundred yeah. pounds. I used to be able to only do a hundred. Yeah, there you go. I probably couldn't do five. But 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 yeah, wait, I think conversion language comes to us easily, yeah. and and. I think that makes it harder for us to see what conversion is. Yeah. Actually, yeah. if everything changes your life, aren't we some kind of sort of the whole country is a kind of burnt over district where we've had our lives <laughs> changed so many times by right. so many oh, things yeah. that, that when if Jesus comes to us, what does he offer that's different from a diet plan yeah. that changed my life? You know? Yeah. So, I, yeah, it's, 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 see, uh, this is hard. <laughs> for me, and, uh, and I've almost avoided Mike's question, um, for me, I will be orthodox till the day I die, or I will probably go insane. I mean, I find my sanity, I find my connection to God in the Orthodox Church, and I don't know where else I would go. And I've tasted so many other places mm -hmm. on the way, and for as I am grateful for the places that I've been and the things that I've learned and the relationships that I had and, and all of that. But in Orthodoxy, that's where I came home i'd hate to be cliche but that's where i i came home and i it's it's like when the disciples said to christ you know to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life yeah right where that's, else can i go where else yeah I've, i i've not been around as many blocks as you have uh, <laughs> my my own story is a little more straightforward but but i i feel exactly the same um you know what what is it that keeps me orthodox 
you know, I won't just I won't say I can't imagine myself doing something else because I I did, <laughs> like I was something else. Right, so I know, right. you know, but but really, in in another sense, I'm I'm not going anywhere, and and part of it is just because I feel like I have so much more to do in the Orthodox Church, mm, and I don't mean yeah. projects, I mean me, you know, my yeah. the project that is my salvation, and and I just I don't think that can happen for me anywhere else, really. So anyway, well, we've we've spent a, a good amount of time having this conversation, and and this is actually our our most unscripted episode ever Um, but but that's kind of on uh, by design and we're just really grateful Jamie that you were able to join us today and we're we're willing to invite us into your story and we've covered so many interesting things not just this question of conversion but but all this stuff yeah as well Mormons Mormon history (laughs) you know all that stuff so Jamie where can people find you online if they want to interact with what you're doing out there yeah, uh, Jamie Bennett on Twitter, which is J-A-M-E-Y. And then also Royal Ruckus, R-O-Y-A-L, R-U-C-K-U-S. And your music in the iTunes store? It is. iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, the whole nine. We've got some music videos on YouTube. They're a lot of fun. Got two more music videos coming out very soon. So I might watch your videos as long as I you know, click mute. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Sorry, I just had to get my last, uh, last barb there. I appreciate that. <laughs> well, I mean, we are talking about conversion, Father. I mean, you know, you never know. You know, uh. you, might, you might just be walking down the street one day, and then you hear Check the Rhyme playing, and you're going to be like, oh, my gosh. That's a Tribe song. Called Quest, Quest, the greatest <laughs> hip-hop band of all time. That's yeah, that's not happening. I don't know happening. how we didn't talk about them earlier. They it's are not, the greatest. It's not, they are. It's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see where the we'll see where the spirit leads you. Yeah. <laughs> where can people find you online, Father? I am on Twitter. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Ancient Faith Blogs. Got a couple of blogs there. I encourage you, I just want to suggest actually that you go to Ancient Faith Radio and you find some of these talks that I mentioned uh, that I gave at the Antiochian Archdiocese Convention, a renewing ministry. That's the head. There's two parts. They're both short, so it's not going to be hard. And it actually very much informs some of the kind of language that I was using today. It's a really important conversation for me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm at all those places. I really encourage you to buy the new Orthodoxy and Heterodoxy finding the way to Christ in a complicated religious landscape. I also have another book called An Introduction to God. And then, God willing, this fall should be coming out, Bearing God, which is about the life and writings of St. Ignatius of Antioch. And Michael, where can people find you? All over the place. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, at Mike Lands, M-I-K-E-L-A-N-D-S. Uh, you can also find me on Facebook, through my church, Zion's Stone UCC. I also have a sermon podcast on SoundCloud. It's the name of my church, Zion Stone UCC. And the podcast is also in iTunes. So you can put in Zion Stone UCC. And uh, if you're interested, my sermons are up there. And you yeah. can find the Areopagus on uh, Facebook. So go to Areopagus, yeah. Areopagus Podcast on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Please like us there. And we're generally pretty good about responding to comments. Yeah, we're very happy to interact with people there. We get some great ideas, some great conversation. Also, check us out on iTunes if that's what you use and subscribe to us there and leave us a five-star rating. Yeah, please and, leave a review or a five-star rating. Give a review and or whatever other podcast aggregation tool that you use. And, of course, you can find us always on ancientfaith.com. Yeah, thank you so much. Hope you all really enjoyed that episode of the Areopagus that uh, Chanjay was guested on. It was very fun. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, And hopefully we get some crossover listeners that are checking out each other's podcasts. As always, like, listen, subscribe. 
thank you so much to Ancient Faith Radio for allowing us to hijack that episode and put it on ours. Hopefully there's a reinvigoration. Thank you so much. And next we're going to get into uh, the song Still from Royal Ruckus on the album Some of the Cicadas. Peace. been ruckusing it up, making grandma proud but not cussing on the cut. A lot of things have changed in the world of Royal Ruckus. Some relationships are strange and new friends have come among us. Still down with MP Walker, we text all the time. I'ma be his friend till the day that he front lines. But if I'm going first, he'll hoist me in the hearse. And I'll pray for him from heaven till sadness is reverse. Still eating brought worse. Still drinking Irish stout, still writing silly rhymes, still wrestling with doubt, still believing in Christ, still living this life, still walking in faith with my eyes on the prize, still into girls, I'm now into beers, hashtag no homo, no offense with the queers, misused for years, now I'm redeeming the day, serving food to the homeless, soaking up sun rays, from Cali to South Florida, what up Bakersfield, still proud of my town, still running those hills, still calling my dad, Still cool with my brothers Much love to my sister, my nieces and mother Still working with kids Still shaping tomorrow Still find a reason to laugh Even in sorrow What else can I say? I'm a step-ass kind of guy Back in the rap game And not about to say goodbye Still Hey, yo, the devil tried to choke me, but I'm still breathing. This world throws hard blows, I'm still bobbing and weaving. Still believing, snakes is still deceiving. But I'm still stopping serpents, giving demons a beating. I'm still decreasing while God increasing. The revelations from heaven are still releasing upon the people that will still receive them. So stop sleeping on righteousness for no right reason. I'm still keeping the rhymes red hot. Pause the track, you still feel the aftershocks. Because the epicenter still don't get no riders blocked. The heaven sent to you, still with Christ, cipher unstopped. I'm still sinning and I'm still forgiving. And I'm still concerned with the way that I'm living. So I'm still searching for the sin kill. Still instilling my soul biblical until time stands still. Put the ashes of my sister into Oceanside Harbor Moved to Tennessee where we buried my daughter Life's torture only makes my heart softer for this culture If they go to get me hopeless, they should try harder Cause it's still light where the cross is Kill us all, we still coming back with Jesus and swords On white horses, still go right where the lost is Take the Aveo to San Diego, making these songs hit Still on tour after 12 years doing it Eight years married, still in love like a newlywed Fifteen years with a busted lung, still using it Heal Resuture getting stupid in studios with an axe to grind against the masterminds. Keep an asinine mattress in the back of your mind and blind to the facts. I'm trying to crack some spines like adenines. Still absent minded, and I count carbs these days. Still eat these white bread busters.
Streets and bay.